0: We're now listening to British Murders, the True Crime podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases with an occasional glimpse at horror movies, I'm your host, Stuart Blues, and this is the fifth episode of Season 6. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, which focused on the crimes of Ian Scowler. It seems to be one of those cases that's fallen right under the radar, even in Scotland, so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you check that episode out. Before we get into this week's story, let's break the ice a little bit, as we always do. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this. Welcome to Daddy Facts. Here is this week's Dad Fact. A car called the Flatmobile was a road-legal car built in the UK that had a height of just 19 inches. What's that? Make a meme out of that, if you will, on YouTube. 19 inches? That's a small car. (laughs) The second and final opening icebreaker segment is this. Satsuji Haiku. Here is this week's case related murderous haiku. A German gamer. He travelled here to kill him. His online rival. With my intro icebreakers complete, let's get into it. This week's case was suggested in December 2021 via email by listener Jenny Paxton. We're back in England this week after visiting Bonnie Scotland in the last episode. Specifically, we're in Nottinghamshire's county town of Nottingham, located in the East Midlands. Here are five quickfire facts about Nottingham. Number 1. Nottingham is the home of legendary heroic outlaw Robin Hood. Number 2. Sherwood Forest, a place where Robin Hood was said to live, is a national nature reserve and a royal forest that attracts around 350,000 tourists a year. Number three, within Sherwood Forest is a large English oak tree named Major Oak. It was voted England's Tree of the Year in 2014, cracking award that, and weighs an estimated 23 tonnes, has a girth of 33 feet or 10 metres, and is estimated to be almost a thousand years old. Number four, Nottingham gave the world traffic lights. In 1866, British railway manager John Peake created a basic railway signalling system to control the traffic. The first road traffic light was subsequently installed at Bridge Street in Westminster in London. And number five, possibly my favourite ever fact I've done on British murders, Nottingham was once called Snottingham. Back in 600 CE, the town of Nottingham was under the direct rule of the Snottingers, an Anglo-Saxon tribe. The tribe had got its name from its chief, who was called Snot. The name literally meant the town of Snot People. As of 2021, the estimated population of Nottingham was 332,500. Let me quickly advise you that this episode contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners, including graphic details of a murder. As always, listener discretion is advised. Despite the events of this week's story taking place in Nottingham, none of the three parties involved originates from the city known as the Queen of the Midlands. Our villain this week is a man named David Heiss, who's not only not from Nottingham, he's not even a British national. So why are you covering this case, Stu? I hear you ask. I thought this was British murders. Well, the two other people involved in this story were British, and the crime took place here, so there's some justification. In September 2008, David Heiss was a 21-year-old office worker that lived with his grandma in the Ortsteil of Limburg in the town of limburg Lahn. Ortsteil means district or village in German, and Limburg is the largest within limburg Lahn, with an estimated population of just over 18,000. It's located just outside Frankfurt am Main, aka Frankfurt, in the state of Hesse. I tell you what, all this German terminology is taking me right back to my high school days. I got a C in German, if you're wondering, so I'm practically fluent. Let's get back on track. David lived with his grandmother because his parents weren't in his life. As far as I can tell, they were alive during the events of this story. They just, for whatever reason, wanted nothing to do with their son. Describing himself as a jack-of-all-trades... David's main interests were video games, football, chess and politics. Seems pretty consistent for a 21-year-old lad, right? So far, so normal. When he said he likes video games, what David meant was that he was absolutely obsessed with them, especially when it came to a couple of Nintendo-published games called Advance Wars and Battalion Wars. It's not a series of games I'm aware of, but a quick search online suggests they are strategy war games of the turn-based and real-time variety. I was always a Command & Conquer guy myself. Online, David used a gaming alias. He referred to himself as Eagle the Lightning, stylized as Eagle underscore the underscore lightning. He'd often spend up to eight hours a day online playing or discussing those games. In late 2007, one source suggests it will have been December 2007 at the earliest, David became a member of WarsCentral.com, a fan-operated website focusing on the Nintendo Wars series of games. The games in question were Advance Wars, Battalion Wars, Game Boy Wars and Famicom Wars. Becoming a regular poster in the forums using his Eagle the Lightning gamer tag, David started to form a bond with a female user who went by the name of JoJo. The pair shared their love of the Nintendo Wars series and spoke about their respective achievements in-game. JoJo's real name was Joanna Witten, a fellow 21-year-old during the events of this story who was originally from Selby, a town in North Yorkshire. I'll refer to her as Jo going forward. She'd moved to Nottingham in 2006 to study environmental science at one of the city's two universities. I believe it was Nottingham Trent University. Living with Joanne in 2006 was her boyfriend Matthew Pike, who was studying computer sciences, also at Nottingham Trent University, after moving there from his hometown of Stowmarket, which is in Suffolk. The couple lived in a flat above the Orange Tree, a pub in the centre of Nottingham located on the corner of North Sherwood Street and Shakespeare Street. The Orange Tree has since been refurbished and reopened. As of May 2019, it's known as the Playwright at 38. 38 being the building number. We'll come back to the orange tree later. So far we know that David Heiss, a.k.a. Eagle the Lightning, and Joe Witten, a.k.a. JoJo, met on WarsCentral.com. What I haven't told you is that Joe was one of the website's co-creators with her boyfriend Matthew Pike. Matthew, known online as Shade, would sit on his desktop computer in the flat whilst Joe would sit near him on her laptop. The pair's free time was mainly spent online, which kind of makes sense given their shared passion for video games and the fact they had a website to run and act as admins on. Matthew was described by his mum as easygoing and often shy, apart from when it came to all things online. He had a passion for web design and wanted to make a career out of it. Having said that, at some point during the 2007-2008 academic year, Matthew decided to drop out of his computer sciences course and re-enroll at Nottingham Trent University. In the fall of 2008, when the next academic year was to begin, Matthew was due to start a new undergraduate course studying physics. Sadly, Matthew never got the chance to start that course. His opportunity was brutally taken away from him by an obsessive love rival, and I've put that in quotation marks, who psychiatrist would later say was unable to tell the difference between the online gaming world and the real one david Heiss quickly became infatuated with joe and developed an incredibly unhealthy obsession for 6 months between march 2008 and september 2008 david would send increasingly creepier messages to joe online that rapidly went from being a silly crush to an outright fixation on march 26 2008 David sent a message to Joe which took her aback. He wanted to know if Matthew was there with her. Naturally, he was, so Joe told him as much. He was sitting right behind her and saw the message. Disappointed but not put out enough to discourage him from sending a further message, David wrote, You know, it appears I have recently developed something that you would describe as having a crush on you. What a weird thing to send someone. A, when you know they have a partner and B, when you know their partner is sitting directly behind them as you tell them, you have feelings for them. Jo basically explained in no uncertain terms that she was flattered but spoken for, which David already knew, but his persistence didn't stop there. Not willing to accept no for an answer, David's love messages continued to bombard Jo's inbox. Here's an example of such a message. This was sent by David to Jo on May 3rd, 2008. I love you, Jo. I love you more than anything else in my life. I really do. You are my first thought when I wake up and my last one when I go to sleep. Ever the online stalker, David would meticulously look through Joe's Facebook profile and online journal and then quote passages back to her to show her that he'd read them. One of Joe's previous relationships was documented online and David said he wished he could go back in time so he could have been there for her during their breakup. David's obsessive behaviour went far deeper than online stalking, though. Matthew and Joe went on holiday in the summer of 2008, something which David likely knew, and returned home to find something that would make the hairs on their respective necks stand on end. Remember how they lived in a flat above the Orange Tree pub? As the couple walked up the steps at the back of the pub to get to their flat, they noticed a familiar face waiting for them in the beer garden. David Heiss had turned up unannounced after having flown in from Germany earlier that day. For him to be waiting for them in the beer garden at the exact moment they returned home from the holiday, it means to me that he must have known the details of their trip and the exact date and time they were coming back. Before flying to the UK, David exchanged messages with another War Central user named David Quinn, whom he'd befriended. David Heiss said, It's my turn to be creepy and told David Quinn that he had a list of people he wished he could erase. Matthew Pike was at the top of said list. He closed the conversation by saying, Seriously, the whole thing will end with at least one of us three dying. I have a feeling that I will be the one. He was right about only one of those predictions. As David saw Joe and Matthew walking towards him, he knew they'd have to take him in for the night, as he'd purposely not booked himself a hotel to stay in. He also figured it would be too short notice to find himself one in the middle of Nottingham City Centre. If you're wondering how David knew where the couple lived, he allegedly found out the details from another user of Wars Central, though I don't believe it was David Quinn. Bang out of order that is, by the way. It makes me wonder what story he spun to the user in order to acquire such personal information. Maybe he found it himself. Or maybe the user simply gave up the information voluntarily. Joe desperately tried to find David a hotel. This man was clearly a dangerous stalker, who knew far more about the couple than she felt comfortable with. 25 hotels knocked Joe back, each one stating they had no vacancies. Being the kind-hearted people they were, Joe and Matthew reluctantly offered David the chance to spend the night in their flat, albeit on the floor. The next morning, Joe was straight back on the phone, desperately trying to find anywhere with a vacancy. Luckily, they managed to find somewhere for David to stay, and he was gone later that morning. Was that the end of it? Was it bollocks? David remained in Nottingham for the best part of a month before flying back to Deutschland on July 18th, 2008. During those few weeks, a time that must have felt like an eternity for Joe and Matthew, David continued harassing Joe by leaving numerous love letters at their flat. The poor couple must have been absolutely terrified. Even after he left our shores, he continued to send essay upon essay to Joe via online channels. Unsurprisingly, Matthew was starting to become increasingly pissed off at David's continued advances on his girlfriend, despite her repeatedly stating she was not interested. Joe loved Matthew, as he did her. It was time to be proactive. On July 22, 2008, Matthew posted a list online in which he detailed 19 things he hated about David Heiss. I've not managed to find the full blog post, but here is an extract. I hate the way you endlessly bug Joe when you see how annoyed she gets with you, but is too polite to say anything. I hate you because you hang around on street corners waiting for Joe to come back from work. I hate you for coming back to see Joe for one last time, over and over again. I hate you for your inability to let things go. I hate you for your desperation. David didn't take the posting of such an article well, which only added to already great animosity between the two young men. The conflict became so heated that David ended up making a second unannounced trip to Nottingham to surprise the couple and once again try his luck with Joe. I can't imagine the level of anxiety they must have felt daily, not knowing if David would be there whenever they left the house. He knew where they lived too, which is even more frightening. Remaining as polite as ever, Joe continued to refuse David's inappropriate advances and he eventually returned to Germany. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. The second trip would set the ball in motion for David's third unannounced trip in autumn 2008. Only this time, it would have disastrous consequences. Whilst planning to visit the UK, David resumed messaging David Quinn on Wars Central. The stuff he was saying was pretty red flaggish, so I'm not sure if David Quinn either felt he was joking or maybe just letting off steam. David Heiss said on one occasion to David Quinn, I'm feeling the strong desire to grab his head and smash it against a wall several times. He was referring, of course, to Matthew. Back in Nottingham, the terrified couple felt it was finally time to block David from their website forums. It was the only way to prevent his continuous harassment of Joe. David appears to have been threatened with the possibility of being blocked first, which led to him sending the following message to Joe. I don't want to lose you as well, Joe. It's my greatest fear if you would stop talking to me. He was finally blocked from the website in early September 2008. Joe told David that he creeped them both out, and they weren't comfortable allowing his behaviour to continue. Taking the news incredibly badly, as you'd expect knowing what we know about David, he told Joe that if she didn't remove the block, he would travel to their flat again and kill himself. Not just that, he threatened to stab himself to death in front of Joe. It's not clear how he contacted Joe to send her that threat after he became blocked, but his tech savviness must have allowed him to contact her online in some way via another channel, probably email. Staying strong and standing by their decision, David remained blocked, with Matthew and Joe agreeing that they would immediately phone the police if he were to turn up unannounced again. Perhaps somewhat of an empath, Joe even recommended that David go see a psychiatrist to help him with his obsession. That recommendation was ignored. On September 18th, 2008, David Heiss booked his next trip to the UK, He booked a return flight for the next day, so clearly he didn't plan on spending too much time there before flying home. Prior to setting off, David sent a cryptic yet foreboding email to Matthew in which he said, There's something I would like to give you. I am not going to say what it is though. You will love it. No doubt dismissing the email as a shallow attempt to reignite contact, Matthew had no idea that the something David wanted to give him was a knife. David flew from Frankfurt Airport to Birmingham Airport and then travelled 90 minutes northeast of Birmingham via train to Nottingham. On his person was a knife that he'd purchased back in Germany and somehow miraculously managed to smuggle through customs without getting caught. Once he'd made his way to the Orange Tree Pub, David planned to play a short waiting game. Knowing Jo's work schedule inside out, he knew that on Friday morning she left the flat and went to work. After making his way up to the building's roof, David prepared to spend a cold night behind the air conditioning unit, before putting his plan into action the following morning. At 7am on the morning of Friday, September 19th, 2008, Jo Witten had no idea that when she said her goodbyes to her precious Matthew and made her way to work, that her online stalker was watching her from the roof. Knowing the coast was clear, David climbed down from the roof and made his way inside. As he stood outside the couple's flat, he put on a pair of thick gardening gloves and removed the knife from his waistband. David knocked on the door and waited for the sole occupant inside to answer it. Poor Matthew was completely oblivious that the man who called him his love rival was standing on the other side of the door, inches away from him. As Matthew calmly opened the door, David attacked him with the knife immediately. The attack was a frenzied and sustained one, to the extent that by the time he was finished, David had stabbed Matthew a total of 86 times all over his body. Once he'd accomplished what he set out to do, David casually walked out of the flat, dumped the knife in a bin, and headed back to the airport. He must have either changed his clothes or worn overalls, because there's no way he would have been allowed to fly if he was covered in blood, which he no doubt will have been. David was only in the UK for a total of 16 hours before flying back home to Frankfurt Airport. What he didn't realise was that Matthew used the very last ounces of strength he could muster to lead the police straight to his killer. His plan was to write David's name on the side of his computer. This is tough to hear. The only thing Matthew could use as ink was his own blood, and by the time he'd written the letters D A V, the first three letters of his killer's name, he lost consciousness and passed away shortly after. Blissfully unaware of what had happened back at the flat mere minutes after she left for work, Joe had spent the whole day at work and was no doubt looking forward to getting home and spending the weekend with Matthew. When she opened the door not long after 6pm that night, words can't even describe how she must have felt to find Matthew lying in a pool of his own blood. This wasn't a robbery gone wrong. There were no signs of forced entry. Nothing was missing. This could only be the work of one man, a delusional and obsessed stalker by the name of David Heiss. It gets worse. A mere five days after he killed Matthew, David reached out to Joe via Facebook. This is what he wrote I will pray for you, Joe. You must be suffering unbelievable pains. I'm sorry for having caused so much trouble lately. I hope you won't lose all your hope. We will be there for you. He added that he would pray for everybody involved. He also explained that he would be attending Matthew's funeral once he knew the details and location. The same day David sent those cruel messages to Joe ended up being the same day he was found by German police. West Hessen police officers had been working closely with Nottinghamshire Police and the fantastic teamwork between the two forces led to David being arrested in Hunfelden, a community in the limburg weilberg district of Hesse. David protested his innocence and insisted that he was acting in self-defence when stabbing Matthew. His story was that the two got into a physical altercation after Matthew opened the door, which led to David's knife falling from his waistband. David then claimed Matthew stabbed him in the leg with the knife, which then caused David to fight back and stab him. 86 times. It didn't state this in my research, but it wouldn't surprise me if David stabbed himself in the leg after the fact as a way of making that story seem plausible. In a statement to The Local, a digital news publisher known as Europe's leading independent voice, German police spokesman Bruno Sorry, Bruno) said, with information from the Nottinghamshire police and an intense investigation by the Limburg-Weilberg department, a 21-year-old suspect from the rural district of Limburg was arrested under suspicion of murder. He was arrested by officers from the West Hessen Police Headquarters in Hunfelden on suspicion that on September 19th he killed a man in Nottingham with a knife. They got to know each other through the internet. The man has been extensively interviewed by Limburg CID at the petition of the public prosecutor. Work between the Limburg Weilberg Station and the Nottinghamshire Police is running smoothly and successfully. David was remanded in custody in Frankfurt while officers on the British side prepared the necessary paperwork to allow the German officers to extradite him to the UK. It took a couple of months, but David Heiss was finally extradited to the UK in November 2008, with his trial set to start the following spring. On his defence team was Trevor Burke, QC, who asked Jo why on earth she didn't block David from her website sooner, especially after the first unplanned visit. Joe replied by explaining she felt that blocking him would have only made the situation worse. Joe said, I was trying to calm things down. If I had blocked him, it would have made it worse and made him come to Nottingham. Remember how at the start of this episode I said that David's parents wanted nothing to do with him? Well, it seems as if his grandma didn't anymore either, as none of David's family attended the trial to show their support for him. In David's defence testimony, he tried to garner sympathy from the jury, illustrating how difficult it was for him to get into a university due to financial constraints. His intelligence meant nothing, he said, even though he had the equivalent of five A-levels in German, biology, Catholic religion, politics and economics. As the trial approached its end in early May 2009, there was no doubt as to which way the jury was going to sway. On May 11, 2009, at Nottingham Crown Court, David Heiss was handed a life sentence for the murder of Matthew Pike, with a minimum term to serve of 18 years. Sentencing David, the Honourable Mr Justice Keith said, You may not have had a clear idea in your own mind by the time you bought your return ticket, but I'm sure you thought that Matthew had to be removed following the chatroom conversation that you had with him on September 14th. I don't believe you brought the knife with you because you decided to kill yourself with it. You brought it with you to kill Matthew. The law permits only one punishment for the crime of murder, and the sentence I pass on you is one of imprisonment for life. The fact that your motive for murder was so bizarre doesn't make your killing of Matthew any the less serious. Judge Keith mentioned that David's young age of 21 at the time of sentencing was taken into consideration when handing him a minimum term of 18 years. That means he'll be eligible to apply for parole in May 2027, when he's 39 years old. One source I read stated that David remained delusionally obsessed with Joe even after he was arrested. A letter intended for Joe was reportedly intercepted by her parents. In it, David talked about the couple being together once the trial was over. Matthew's brother Adam had the following to say once the trial had concluded. All it takes is one stab wound and somebody dies. He was a great brother to have, and it's still difficult to come to terms with the fact that he's not going to be here anymore. The following statement was then issued on behalf of Matthew's parents, William and Kim, as well as his brother Adam. We will never truly come to terms with what happened to Matthew that morning. While we have wanted justice throughout the course of this trial, all we really want is Matthew back with us. There will always be a massive part of our family missing, and not a day goes by without us thinking about Matthew and what might have been. It's not fair that we should all have to live like this for the rest of our lives because of one man's actions. He has taken a wonderful, caring, loving young man from all of us. When asked if she felt that online chat rooms were to blame for what happened to her son, Kim Pike said, I don't think internet chat rooms are a bad thing, but people need to be careful about the information they give to other people. Matthew was quite naive. He was quite trusting. He expected people to be like him. Detective Chief Inspector Tony Hayden of Nottinghamshire Police made the following statement about the dangers of the internet. David Heiss was very clever on the internet, and he learned a lot of information about Joanna Witten and Matthew Pike and others. It is very, very interesting that he could do that. One of the things that's important here is that people need to realise that on their computers is a lot of personal information that other people can gather. We know that Heiss found out a lot of information about where they lived and where they worked, and all sorts of things about their social network that perhaps now with hindsight they wouldn't want him to know. So people need to bear that in mind when they are on their own systems using Facebook. People need to be careful. He went on to say, In my view, David Heiss is the most callous, cold-hearted individual I have ever dealt with. And that was the story of German-born murderer David Heiss. Thanks again to Jenny Paxton for suggesting that case. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on it, especially as David will only be 39 if he's granted parole in 2027. It's only five years away. Let me know your thoughts on the case in the YouTube comments or on social media. I've got four new reviews to read out this week. Thank you, firstly, Apple podcast user Tia Maria O2 for leaving British Murders a five-star review. They said... I normally listen to this podcast on Spotify and have now fully caught up. Being from London myself, I enjoy listening to the different ways a northern lad pronounces places and would love to hear of any more murders you find in Hammersmith or Shepherds Bush. Keep up the great work. I'll have a look into that. Thank you, Apple podcast user Rolls, with three S's, for leaving British Murders a five-star review. They said, I love this podcast, his voice is so calming, and I always have it on in the car on my way to work. Thank you Apple podcast user DillyDill54 for leaving British Murders a five-star review. They said, congratulations Stuart, you're a favourite of mine. Love the research you do, love the descriptions of the areas these crimes occur in. Makes me feel like I'm there, especially when I Google the places. Wish you could come down under for a crime con. Your little dad facts announcer is so cute. Each episode gets better than the previous one. Love from FNQ Australia. Believe that's far north Queensland. Good, I might. And finally, thank you Apple podcast user Saz and Dave for leaving British Murders as a five star review. They said, love this podcast, great content and so easy to listen to. Keep them coming Stuart. I will try. Thanks again to Maria, Rolls, Dilly Dill, Saz and Dave for leaving me such nice reviews. Suppose you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode. You can do so on iTunes, Podchaser, Facebook, or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or donate on a one-off basis via Buy Me A Coffee, you can find the links for each on my website. My final thank you this week goes to Connie McFarlane, McFarlane, sorry Connie, who has also joined the show's Patreon. Cheers and welcome. Please continue to email your case suggestions to Murderspodcast at gmail.com or message me via social media. You'll not only get the episode covered, but you'll also get a cheeky shout-out. That's it for another episode. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio.